Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we continue our exposition of the book of 1 Peter. We are in chapter 4 and by God's grace we will wrap up the text today. I would like to read uh, verses 7 through 11 again, particularly we'll be in verses 10 and 11, but let me read them. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of good judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in God, truly worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us before we loved you. You loved us so much that you sent your only begotten Son. We thank you that many have trusted in him that are in this room and have been given the gift of eternal life. We thank you and praise you that you've given us the word of God to study, to learn of you, to learn your expectations of us that we might grow. And we pray that you'd carry on that work through the teachers in junior church, to the children and in this auditorium, that, Father, truly your name would be lifted up, our hearts would be challenged, and that, Father, we would not just come here this morning and become listeners and passive, but, Father, that the Spirit of God would be actively working so that we would become doers of the word as we leave here and not hearers only. We thank you again for this opportunity. Pray for those who are away visiting family this weekend and uh, trust that you be with them. We also want to remember Mary Jane with her request for her dad uh, who has had a heart attack and pray that you'd strengthen and encourage Mary Jane, help her to be a witness to her dad and pray that her dad might even come to salvation. And Father, we just commit our study of the word of God to you this morning with thanksgiving. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've entitled this morning's message, Be Good Stewards of God's Grace. Be Good Stewards of God's Grace. Uh, just some opening comments. All mankind, whether saved or unsaved, are the recipients of the grace of God. And there is a general grace that God has given that all people experience, such as creation itself, such as the weather, though we may not enjoy it in some sense, and that often rain, we look at it and it spoils some plans. It is very needed, but it is by God's grace that it rains on the just and the unjust. The very air that we breathe, the gravity that is involved, and I could go on and on, there are general principles that all mankind benefits from the grace of God with. And then there is also the benefit that some receive in the special gift of salvation and all that its benefits that come with it. Those who by faith have come to trust in Jesus Christ experience a different level of God's grace, of God's work in our hearts. And all of it but just by the word grace and indicates that it's a gift and it comes from God and we benefit that from that. And now as possessions of God's grace, particularly believers in our context, we are to be good stewards of that grace. Uh, often we take for granted God's grace and we enjoy it. We want God's grace on our lives and we enjoy it and take it for granted. But we need to not only appreciate what God has done and what he continues to be doing, but as the recipients of God's grace, particularly those of salvation and its benefits, we want to make the best of that grace by using it 
and demonstrating and showing the multifacets of that grace throughout the body. In our current context, as I said, Lord willing, we'll wrap up. We have already covered verses 7 through 9. And let me very briefly put it in its text. It'll help us also, I believe, with the two verses before us. This is action that we are to be taking toward believers. Throughout this epistle, uh, we have seen that Peter has reminded us that we are the aliens in this world. We are, our home is in heaven. Don't get so comfortable in this world. Enjoy it, enjoy its benefits. But we are the aliens to this world. And because of that, we suffer. We will suffer persecution if we stand for the things of God. We will suffer penalties and pains, if you will, of just living a godly life. And as such, he's been instructing throughout the book how to handle those situations with unbelievers. And now again, he reminds us, here is the way we ought to handle things with believers. And in this passage, in verse 7, and you can look it over as I highlight it, in anticipation of, and we dealt with this idea of when the end is, but in the anticipation of giving an account before God, and we will as believers... And if we do really believe that that could happen at any time, that God could call us into his presence at any time, that means that we need to be stewards of what God has given us. And we need to do certain things. And what he has pointed out, we need to keep our thinking clear. When there's chaos in the world, when there's chaos in our circumstances of life, we ought to be sober in our thinking. We ought to have a clear mind. Secondly, verse 8, above all of that, we ought to be demonstrating not just love, which the world talks about and abuses, but we ought to be talking about and exercising fervent love. And that will be found by covering a multitude of many sins. When things become personal to us, we will be glad to overlook it. And we're not talking about, as we have learned together, those areas that need disciplining because we have to address that. And then we saw in verse 9... We ought to be hospitable. We ought to love believers that we do not know. And that is a charge to all of us. And that's what it means by being a lover of strangers in verse 9, which is literally what the Greek means. We ought to love the brethren, especially those who we don't know, because they are members of the body of Christ. And we're to do it in a way that is to be done without complaining. Not like we have to do it. And that's what he has been instructing us with so far in relationship to the body of Christ. And now in verses 10 and 11, he instructs us that we are also to be good stewards of the grace of God, or God's grace, so that God will get all the glory. And that's basically the summarization, though I'll summarize it a little bit differently later, of verses 10 and 11. We, as the recipients of God's grace, are to be good stewards of that grace and let God get the glory from it. So in other words, we need to let God's grace be seen in us. As we come to the text, I want to mention, and this is what Pada was mentioned last week, uh, this text is used most often as one of the passages that are dealing with spiritual gifts. And uh, while Corinthians and Romans particularly are used in reference, this is another one of those passages that are used uh, in relationship to spiritual gifts. So as I introduced it last week, even when you talk about that concept of spiritual gifts, there are no end, there's no end today among Christianity of confusion over spiritual gifts. And all kinds of questions are raised, and let me just repeat some of them that I mentioned last week, such as what are the gifts and what uh, gifts do I have? Should I pray for gifts? Uh, which ones have ceased, if any? And how do I tell the difference between that which is natural, that which is spiritual? Is there a checklist to determine what I have? And on and on the gifts go. Well, let me tell you this. As is my responsibility, first of all, as a pastor, as I come to verses 10 and 11, and as a teacher of the word of God, my purpose, first of all, is to explain the text to you. So I will be spending most of my time, or the beginning anyway, explaining what the text is. And then I do want to state a few things, as I said it last week, about spiritual gifts because of all that confusion 
that goes on. This is not intended because that's not the passage, as you will see this morning. It is not my intent to exhaust spiritual gifts at all. But since this passage is frequently used that way, I will comment on spiritual gifts at the end of the message. But my primary purpose is to explain the text. So let's get into it. In verses 10 and 11, as I said, he's going to be talking about the grace of God. And I think the general principle is given in verse 10. And so we want to look at that first. And then there's two specifics that are dealt with in verse 11 as he deals with the passage. And under this general principle that comes up in verse 10, I believe there's five things that we want to take a look at. And you look at the text as we're studying it to see if that's not what he's saying so that we understand what Peter, again, is instructing believers. Remember, this is believer to believer. This is how we ought to act with each other. Number one, as each one has received a special gift is what the New American Standard reads. I want to point out, number one, is every believer has received grace. Every single believer has received grace. It's the idea of charisma. It's the idea that comes from uh, gift. It does not read special gift. That is in italics. So that is not there. And that is why, again, we go into this concept. Nor do I think, and listen carefully, nor do I think that it's necessarily even dealing with spiritual gifts. The whole point of the master in the text is he's dealing with God's grace. As each one has received grace, is what he's talking about. Obviously, grace is a gift, and that's what happens. Every single believer is the recipient of the grace of God. How? First of all, with salvation. The very fact, and salvation is by grace, and it is free. That's what it means. We are the recipients of the grace of God in salvation. We were blind. We did not see. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. And God has made us alive together with him. And by Christ Jesus, we have been saved. And through our faith in that. That is recipients of the grace of salvation. Also, as believers, every believer has experienced the grace of God with all its benefits that come, such as the Holy Spirit. We have been baptized into the body of Christ. We have been placed into the body of Christ. All believers have been the recipient of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 9 makes it very clear that if you do not have the Spirit of God, you are none of His. You can say what you want, but you do not belong to Christ. That is the grace of God. Not only that he saved us, but that he gave us the Holy Spirit so that he can be in us and guide us. He has placed us and fit us into the body of Christ. That is God's grace. He didn't just save us and leave us wandering, but he placed us in this new entity, which is made up of both Jew and Gentile, and we are part of the body of Christ, and we have been placed in the body of Christ by his grace just where we should be. He has also exercised his grace in that he has equipped us. Every single believer is equipped for service. He hasn't called us in the body of Christ and expecting us to serve him without giving us the equipment to do so. And he's also given us by his grace the truth of the word of God. So those are just some things. Every single believer is the recipient of God's grace. And that's what he says. Each one of us has received grace. Each one of us has received that gift from God. The second point that he's going to make in this verse, verse 10, is the next expression. Employ it in serving. It comes from one word that has the idea that you'll recognize of deacon. It's a different form of it. But it is the idea of employing it. It is the idea of serving. In other words, wait upon it. That could be translated. Minister. And the whole point is use it. God's grace that he has given to us in our life is to be used. It is not something that's just to be enjoyed ourselves, though that is true. But we are to employ that grace. We are to serve with that grace 
We had a minister with that grace. We had a weight upon it. Why? First of all, toward one another. That's point number three. He says, employ it in serving one another. Employ it toward one another. We are to use God's grace that he has given to us toward one another. We need to be gracious toward believers. We need to demonstrate God's grace in our lives toward others. As I said earlier, we love to receive the benefits of grace. We love to have God be gracious with us, to have God forgive us, to have God be patient with us, to have God be long-suffering with us. But then in employing that ministry of God's grace in our lives, often we fail to do that with others. We need to use what God has given us, in other words, to help the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. As everyone has received it, employ it, use it with one another. And we ought to use that. I am to use it with you. You are to use it with me. We are to use it within the body of Christ. Number four in verse 10. We are, good, we are to be good stewards. It says, employ it with one another as good stewards. We are household managers. That's literally what the Greek word means there. We are a manager of a household. We are to manage the affairs of God. It isn't that God can't do it himself. It isn't that God can't carry out a, a fend for himself at all. Uh, but it is that God has chosen to save us. God has chosen to be us to be the recipients and the benefits of his grace. And we are then to take that which he has provided for us and use it toward one another because we are managing, if you will, the affairs of God. You and I are responsible. And listen, that has been the point of the passage from verse 7. We will be accountable. Whatever God has issued in your heart, in your life, in my life, by the way of grace, we are responsible for how we use the benefits of that salvation toward the body of Christ in all of its aspects. And we will answer for that. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. A distinction that needs to be made, and I believe it's clearly made in Scripture, and I won't turn to it, but is that the unbeliever will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, excuse me, the white, great white throne judgment, and they will basically be cast into hell because of their lack of faith. They will think that they will get in on works. It won't happen. However, the believer, while there is no condemnation according to Romans chapter 8, and there is none, yet we have been given and left here on earth as aliens, has been Peter's point, to basically be recipients of the grace of God, to be a shining light to the world, for the world to see what God is doing in our life, even in this auditorium as the angels and the spiritual work uh, world, excuse me, watches us, they are to benefit by how God is working within the body of Christ. And we being recipients of his grace are now to be manifesting that grace to others, particularly in the body of Christ. And as we use that, we will stand accountable for God. So you might sit here this morning and say, well, it's great to be saved. It's great to be the benefit of God's grace. Well, what are you doing with it? How are other people benefiting from that? And what needs to be seen is the end of verse 5, and that's the uh, end of verse 10, which is my fifth point. And that is what Peter brings out. We are to be good stewards, what? Of the manifold grace of God. And we've seen that term before. That's the multifaceted. It's multicolored. It's many different shades, if you will. God, as he works in our life, we see many different shades of the grace of God. And as he uses believers in other believers' lives, those shades will be seen by the world. And just like we face various trials, go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. He used this other expre same expression. I want you to see it. In chapter 1, verse 6 of Peter, In this you greatly rejoice, talking to believers, 
even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed, and here it is, by various trials, a manifold trials. And we, we exegeted that passage to you. And we saw that in our lives, which is true, we have different types of trials. They're all different facets. Some of them come from health. Some of them come from the family. Some of them come from the world. Some of them come from ourselves. Some of them God just brings in that we might grow. They're various and they're different. And as we look at one another's lives, we see those different facets of the testing and trials. Now he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each one of us are the recipients of God's grace. God's grace. We had to employ that as good stewards among ourselves so that the manifold wisdom, wisdom of God's grace is seen by everybody. That the multifacets of grace, if I can summarize verse 10, it's basically saying this. Every believer is the recipient of God's grace. Every believer. Now show it. Let it be seen toward God's family. Of course toward the outside. But what the outside needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we need among believers is we need to see that shown that everyone might see the manifold shades of the wonderful grace of God. We've sung that song many times. The wonderful grace of God. We talk about the wonderful grace of God. It's to be seen in the believer's lives. It's not just to be the recipient of it, but Peter says to them, employ it. Then he comes to verse 11. And what does he have in verse 11? Whoever speaks is to do so as one who speaks the utterances of God. Whosoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. He brings up two specifics in these passages, or in this passage. Speaking and serving are speaking and ministering. First, he says, when you're speaking. Now, again, because of the issue of spiritual gifts and the way this passage normally gets dealt with, and uh, that the concentration becomes each one has received a spiritual gift, so use it wisely. And one of the gifts is speaking, and one of the gifts is uh, serving. But I think he, when we take a closer look at it, what he's saying is, first of all, the one who is speaking, he says, and that is the word for utterance. That's why you've got as one who speaks the utterances of God. What is he talking about? Is he talking about divine revelation? He does use this term in scripture that way. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 7 for a moment. Go to Acts chapter 7. With the rain is coming mugginess. Do you feel that? So you can use that as an excuse when you fall asleep. In Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is the one, and you can look at the, the context on your own, but this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers, and he received living oracles to pass on to you. That is referring to Moses, and it is referring to the revelation that he received. So when it's talking about the oracles of God there... It is referring not only to Moses, but divine revelation given to him. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. It's used there again. Romans chapter 3. It's actually verse 2, but I'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, for what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. There it is again. And in this particular passage, very familiar passage about the Romans road, he's going to get into that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is there any advantage to being a Jew? Certainly. One is that they were the recipients of divine revelation. And that's what he's talking about. They were the recipients of divine revelation. So I want you to see that when he talks about speaking and speaking the oracles of God that is in, used in Peter, sometimes that is used that way. But let me give you another passage where it's used differently. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. 
In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. Here the writer of Hebrews, as he's addressing actually the priesthood and the different qualifications and the special priesthood of Melchizedek, he's talking and addressing believers about where they should be. And in, when you come down to verse 12 of chapter 5, we read this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. What is he talking about there? He's not talking about, listen carefully to what I'm saying, the reception of new revelation. He's talking about taking the revelation of the oracles of God in a sense as already delivered and what they should be able to do is they should be teaching it by now. And he's actually dealing with spiritual growth. They should have been teachers and unfortunately they've got to be brought back to the ABCs, if you will, of what the word of God has already revealed. And so the oracles of God can be used in actually receiving divine revelation or in the idea of understanding that which has already been given. So what about the context of 1 Peter 4? Go back there. When he says, whoever, he, whoever speaks, he's talking to believers. I don't believe he's talking about receiving revelation, as has been interpreted by some. I think what he's dealing with it is the same idea that has been dealt with by the writer of Hebrews. What is it? Whoever is speaking ought to be speaking as a representative of God, is what he's saying. As one who is speaking the utterances of God. It isn't that they're getting new revelation, that as they are ministering in the body of Christ, what they are doing is the context is all believers should be doing this. All believers, when they have the opportunity to speak, you represent God, and you ought to speak that way. How? When we have speech, for example, do we speak for the edification of the body? That's what God does. Do we speak to build up the body? Do we speak with authority of the truth? Do we speak by talking about God's word or the revelation that he's already given? I believe that's what he's saying. Whoever is speaking, you speak as one who is speaking the oracles of God. That's what you ought to do. It's very similar to this. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And I think it's practical. We know, because of the writings of James, we know of other scripture that's been written, of how powerful the tongue is. The tongue is probably our worst enemy. Our thinking, we've already dealt with that one, but our mind and then our tongue becomes an enemy often because we use it so wrong. We start so many fires. We cause so many problems. But a believer is not to be that way. And it's interesting because in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, after laying down all of the doctrine and all of the theology of the first three chapters of the book, Paul says, verse, four, verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you that you walk worthy of the, the calling to which you have been called. He said, let's see it in a life. You know the theology, let's see it in a life. And one of the practical aspects that he deals with starts a little later on in the chapter in verse 25. Go with me there. Therefore, lying aside all falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals, these are practical, must steal no longer, but rather must labor performing that uh, with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. And here we go, verse 29, pay attention. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word it is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. What is he talking about in Peter? He's talking about whenever we speak, we ought to speak as the oracles of God, that which is consistent with the grace of God, that which is consistent with what God would say. And I believe that's what it is. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30, by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So what is he saying when he talks about the specific back in 1 Peter? He's telling us in a very practical way, when we speak to the body, that's what it's talking about. Remember, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10 all talk about one another. This is how we ought to behave with one another. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. We ought to be lifting up others. We ought to be reflecting the grace of God even in our speech. And if you get nothing else this morning, I think we all ought to be challenged with that. When we speak to one another, when we go to approach even a brother who is stumbling, is our speech such that it is really reflecting the oracles of the speech of God, the utterances of God? Or is it a time and an opportunity to get rid of my anger? Is it a time and opportunity to tear down rather than to build up? That's not reflecting the grace of God at all. Pastor Stringer once used the expression that we ought to be more like a hospital, and we should, in the sense of we ought to be building up. So when we see one another fall, when we go over to them, do we use even our mouths to attack or behind the scenes to gossip? Or do we come into the situation and we fulfill Galatians where it says that we see someone and we lift them up and we help the brother in need, even with our speech. It is amazing what our speech does. And him that serves, in verse, the other second one there, is whoever serves, whoever in the body of Christ is serving, do so as one who is serving by the strength of God, by the strength that God supplies. When we serve it, when we minister, that's the idea. When we perform the, the idea we say of deacons, no. When we perform the idea of serving one another. Are we doing it in our strength, by our power, by the things that we think we're accomplishing? Or is it by the power and strength of God? When the body is functioning the way it should be functioning, we would be recipients of God's grace so that in the moment we're able to even speak so that we reflect the oracles of God. When we serve, we're not doing it by our own strength, but we're doing it by the strength that God gives. Why? So that God will be glorified. That's what he says. This isn't about me. This isn't about you. Let me really bring it home. This is not about your program. Many of us serve in leadership capacities in other areas. And we get so focused in, which we should be. We need, first of all, let me say that, we need believers to take charge and to really take the leadership and the ministries that they're dealing with and not go look for everybody else to solve the issues, but to take charge and do that for the glory of God, whether it be the nursery, whether it be the kitchen, whether it be the teaching ministries, whether it be the hospitality, whether it be the setup, whether it be the maintenance of the building inside, the maintenance outside, we need to do it to the glory of God. But we need to see that we're part of a picture. Don't get so focused that you want to have everything right in your ministry and you lose the focus of the body. And the whole point of this passage is dealing with the body, how we ought to treat one another. And even when we speak, we need to do it graciously as God would do. When we serve, it's not by our power or our abilities. It's really by the power of God. And the point, I believe, in this passage, in summarizing it, then I'll deal with spiritual gifts for just a few moments. The point of this passage is this. If you truly believe that you are going to stand before God and give an account, and that is imminent. And the evidence is this week, as you know. I got two phone calls, both of them with someone that died in this church. And if you didn't realize it, by the way, um, Jenny was 99, 99 years of age. And that's the one, Lord willing, Tuesday. And by the way, if something does let loose, we will let you know through the internet very quickly that we can't have it here because it will be at the funeral home. But Lord willing, we'll have it here. That can happen to us. 
We can be before the Lord and give an account. If you really believe that, then five points in this passage, verses 7 through 11, and ask yourself, am I doing it? Let's have genuine love for one another. And the genuine love will be seen by, I'm willing to cover up the hurts that I have and put them away and move on. Secondly, by being friendly to the believers you don't know. And remember, we said, there's nothing wrong with having your close group. Even the Lord had his close group within the apostles and then closer within that close group. Nothing wrong with that. But he also ministered to the entire body. And we need to be ministering even to those that we don't know. We need to be demonstrating, the point today is, we need to be demonstrating the multifacets of God's grace in our life so that believers see it and unbelievers see the grace of God and how it works among believers. When we speak, we should be speaking as if it was God and not in the sense of new revelation. I don't believe that's what it's dealing with. But in the sense of we need to speak to one another in a way that we represent God and we reflect the grace of God even in our speech. And then we ought to serve one another in the body of Christ. And we're to do it with diligence. And his strength. Why? Because the whole point of the passage and the whole point of the instruction that Peter has been given is the end of it. That truly we don't just sing about it. We don't just talk about it. But truly that in all things God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. That God will get the glory in what we do. That will happen when we serve in his strength. That will happen when we have fervent love for the brethren. That will happen when we seek out to be hospitable to those we don't know in the body of Christ. That will happen when we seek to have our speech reflecting that which God would have us to say. And that will happen when it's not our power. But others are able to see, you know what? That person is weak, but look at how God's grace is working in that person. And they see the strength of God. How do they carry on? By the grace of God. And the manifold wisdom of God is seen even among the body. And you know what? According to Ephesians, even the angels are watching. And they are puzzled. And they are learning about the greatness of God as they watch the church function. How in the world can God put people in the body with all these different backgrounds, coming out of all these different religions, coming together with one in Christ and functioning that way and getting along. It shows the manifold grace of God. Now, that's really what I want you to take away. So I probably should say, let's go home. And everybody said amen. But I do feel, because again, this is one of those passages that is used for spiritual gifts. I just want to give a couple of statements on spiritual gifts. Uh, and most of the commentaries that I've read in relationship to that, the whole concentration is on spiritual gifts, and for some reason he uses only two spiritual gifts. I already pointed out, I just think his concentration is on the grace of God, period. What about spiritual gifts? In my opinion, this, this particular text is not really concentrating on a list or focusing in on spiritual gifts as much as it is on how the body is to function and work among itself. But let me say these things. Here are some facts that I believe we have in scripture about spiritual gifts. Number one, I'm going to give you just a number of them. We are saved by the grace of God, not by our own will. Two, every single believer, I quoted Romans 8 already, every single believer has been given the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into the body of Christ, we become part of his body. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, whether you realize it or not. And I can remember the early days that I got saved. In fact, I could quote you. It stuck with me that much. The series that was given by Dr. Didden on the Holy Spirit, because I didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was. And I sat there in the audience, and he said, did you know that the Holy Spirit indwells you? And I sat there saying I had no idea. And he said, have you ever thanked God for the very fact that you have the indwelling Holy Spirit? I didn't know anything about him. But every believer has the Holy Spirit. What's that got to do with gifts? Very important. Number three, we know this. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, God has placed every believer in the body just 
as it pleased him. We are right where we should be. So wherever you are as a believer, you ought not to be trying to pursue something else. You're right where God wants you to be in the body of Christ. He is the head, not Pastor Dan. He is the head, not any pastor of any church. And I run into this all the time as I, I meet with pastors and, and interact with them. And they often will say, how about your church? This isn't my church. This isn't Pastor Stringer's church. He founded it, but it's not his church. The minute he thinks that way or I think that way, we are in trouble. Christ is the head of the church. And we're, it makes up a body. And as it has been fitting for him, we have been placed in the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. That'll help you with spiritual gifts if you remember that. Another fact. The body, however, does have structure to it. Jesus Christ is the head. Then he does have apostles. And he does have leaders. Ephesians chapter 4 says that. He has, by his choice, we don't make it by our strength. But by his choice, he has given gifts to the church, which includes pastors and teachers. I am not here. There's too many people that go to school, and just because they go to school and get a degree, they are standing in pulpits, and they shouldn't be. You need to have the education. You need to have the training. Yes, I believe that. But the biggest thing you need is God's hand that's called you to that position. But he does have leaders. And then there are individual bodies. You know 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They're individual body members. All you've got to do is look at your physical body. We've got fingers, we've got toes, we've got eyes, we've got ears, we've got noses, and on and on we go. There are different parts to the body. Christ is the head. The apostles are there. They are the foundation of the church. God has given leadership, and he's given all members of the body. Now, why do we... I thought you were going to talk about spiritual gifts. Here's the reason. All the members of the body have been properly equipped. All. Whether it be the apostles, they were properly equipped. Whether it be a pastor or teacher, or whether you are a finger or a toe, or whether you are an eye or an ear, you have been properly equipped, which means you've been properly gifted to function where God has placed you. And if you want a reference, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 11. He's put you right where he wants you. Very important. Who decides spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit decides. Get that. The Holy Spirit decides. I'll give you 1 Corinthians 12. Look at it closely. There are distinctions of gifts. You see, that's where the part of the confusion, these are facts, folks. When it comes to spiritual gifts, the whole concept that you should be looking at is God has placed me in the body. He's properly equipped me. Do I have to pray for something, and I'll come to that again. The answer is no. Why? The Holy Spirit decides what gifts we get, and there are distinct gifts. He lists some. He says there are apostles, there are teachers, there are the gift of tongues, there's the gift of, and so on. There are distinct gifts. Do we all have the same gift or gifts? No. Now, we are all the benefits of God's grace. Yes. We are all the benefits of God's grace and have been properly equipped within the body, but not all have the same gifts. If that's the case, then God listed them wrong, and he's the one that says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all pastors? No. That ought to help you with spiritual gifts. Why? The next thing is this. When it comes to spiritual gifts, and you might be sitting here this morning saying, this isn't helping me too much with my gift. What is the purpose of the spiritual gift? According to scripture, it's to bring glory to God, just like in our passage, to reveal the works of the Holy Spirit and to benefit the body of Christ. That's why they're there in a number of passages. So, what's the point? <clears throat> Here it is. When it comes to spiritual gifts and functioning in the body of Christ, let's first of all pay attention to what Peter's instructed us to do. Let's have fervent love. Let's be sober in our thinking. Let's have hospitality. Let's let whatever gifts, whatever grace God's put in our life to be demonstrated when we speak and when we serve. 
And what's the exhortation? Don't look for some formula. I tell you, I don't know, and maybe I need to be taught this afternoon. I do know there's books on this, but I don't know anywhere in Scripture where God says to worry about the gift that you've got. And I don't know anywhere in Scripture where God says that you need to come up with some formula to determine what gift you've got. What God says is you're in the body, you've been equipped, start using what you have. But you say, I don't know what I have. How do I do that? Let me make it simple. What the scriptures do teach is this. All believers are to yield to the spirit of God. All believers are to walk in the spirit. All believers are to be controlled by the spirit of God. How does that fit with gifts in our text? Because if we are in Christ and he's equipped us and I yield to the spirit of God and I let God have his way in my life, I'm not going to have to worry about the details of whether I got this gift or I got that gift. It is going to become obvious to me and everyone else around me because I'm simply letting God control my life. That's what it says. Don't be drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit controls my life, that does fit Peter's passage. The manifold grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit will come out by yielding to the Spirit of God. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. There are so many professing believers that are praying for spiritual gifts. I can remember, just to give you an example, I just had this conversation recently with my own family. I, for those of you who don't know my, some of my background, I have the seven in our family, brothers and sisters, and my wife, I'm sorry, my, my mother, who I believe did get saved before she died, was being pulled heavily in the charismatic movement. And I would go over with her on Wednesday nights, and she was praying because they all said, you just have to keep praying for this gift of speaking in tongues. And she was crying to the point, I, I don't know why I can't get this gift and whatever. And then I'd come down and I'd sit down with her and say, why are you praying for it? Well, they told me I need to pray for it. I need to get this gift. Brought it back to Corinthians. The Holy Spirit has given the gifts that he's given. He's given you what gifts yield to the Spirit of God. And not everybody has the same gift. Simple, basic points. But it's important in the functioning of gifts. And I brought up the family because when I was together with the family, they were talking and I brought up my mom and they, they ended up, we got into some spiritual things that I was able to discuss with the family. And I said, too many people, that they're being led by religion into doing this, that, the other thing, rather than getting back into the word of God and just yielding their lives to the spirit of God and letting him work through them. God will reveal his manifold wisdom he revealed his manifold grace when we simply let the Spirit of God control our lives. Now that isn't something that's up here. It's practical. How do I let the Holy Spirit control my life? It's not mystical. Number one, know what the Word of God says. Study the Word and then be a doer. And it gets right into the practicality of speech. It gets right into the practicality of serving. It gets right into the practicality of forgiving. It gets right in the practicality of building up one another in the body of Christ. And when that has happened, the body of Christ will function as it should function, and the world will want that. What the world doesn't want it's, they're seeing in Christianity is the fighting and the bickering and the destroying of one another. Because while people are talking about these things, they're not yielding to the Spirit of God or letting God use them and show His grace through them. They're just simply the recipients of God's grace and sitting back, waiting for the return. We ought to be busy. Might God help us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Might God help us to be serving in His strength, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to be yielded to the Spirit of God that His manifold grace is seen in our lives. Act like we really do believe God's coming back. Act like you do believe you'll be standing before God. My God help us as believers to return to just simply yielding to the Spirit of God and letting Him work. 
to being strengthened by the word of God as we read it and not looking for some additional revelation, but applying what revelation we have as we yield to the spirit of God. When we do that, and if we believe that his return is imminent, we will have a full life that is filled with the spirit where God is able to really use us the body will benefit the way it should and others will want to have God's grace in their life that will open the opportunities to share the gospel of Christ so others will get saved and that's why we're here to demonstrate God's grace and to share God's grace with the lost to demonstrate it with one another that he would get all the honor and glory, not us. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for Peter. I thank you, Father, for the heart that he had. He had faced persecution. He had faced suffering. <clears throat> and Father, yet he was able to be used of you to instruct these believers who were facing very difficult times, not only in how to behave toward the lost, but now toward believers. In the light of your return, in the light of being before you, help us to be of sound mind, to have clear thinking. Help us, Father, to have fervent love, to cover a multitude of sins with one another. Help us, Father, indeed, to love even the brethren we don't know. As we come to learn their testimony in Christ, help us to show genuine love to them. Help us, Father, to certainly yield to the Spirit of God that the grace that you've given us that would flow through us that others might see the manifold grace of God as we speak and as we serve. Help us to do it in your power so that you would get all the honor and glory and that when we stand before you we would hear well done but more importantly than that that you would be glorified through our lives as we spend it here on earth as aliens for the grace and the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.